So Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick? Or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. They will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so I think you all know that uh, a surprise can be a beautiful thing. When you feel like you're stuck in like the doldrums, the ordinary grind of life, a surprise is exactly what the doctor ordered. So maybe it's a, a friend who just shows up on your doorstep. You haven't seen them in ages, and there they are. Beautiful surprise. Maybe it's a surprise birthday party that was thrown for you when you weren't all that excited about getting another year older. Or maybe it's flowers or work at work, or uh, maybe it's something really small. Maybe it was that special little snack that mom or dad tucked into your lunch, and you open it up and just made your day. That's exactly what good surprises do. But then we also know that there's some surprises that are not always so good. Maybe you've had the wonderful experience of a pop quiz when your heart jumps into your throat. Or uh, maybe you've had your boss come to you one day and just load on you a pile of work and say to you, oh yeah, by the way, I need that done by the end of the day. Or maybe um, you've had a letter come in the mail, a bill, and you've got no idea how you're going to pay it off. 
Some surprises really aren't that good at all. But then that's life, right? Life is filled with surprises, good and bad. But the text this morning tells us that it's not just this earthly life that's filled with surprises. No, no, no. The, the life to come, you know, when we pass on from this earthly life, there's going to be even more surprises still. And Jesus is talking about this when he's talking about his return. So he starts saying that, you know, when he comes again, he's going to come in glory. And he's going to be accompanied by his angels. And he, like a true king, is going to take up his place on his heavenly throne. And there on his throne, he's going to judge. And all the nations of the world, they're going to be, come, they're going to be brought before him. And uh, we're not even just talking about, you know, the people who are living at that time when Jesus comes. No, we're talking about everybody who's ever lived from Adam and Eve forward. They're all going to come. The book of Revelation says everybody, great and small, they're going to stand before Jesus' throne and they are going to be judged. Now, for a lot of people, that experience is going to be very, very surprising. Because, you know, there are a lot of people who just imagine things going very, very differently. For starters, of course, there are people who are absolutely convinced that God's not real. God doesn't exist. He's just a myth that people have come up with along the way. And Judgment Day, well, Judgment Day, surely that's not a thing. That's just something that people have dreamt up to keep folks walking the straight and narrow and coming to church and all that. So they don't think Jesus is going to come to, to judge. Other people, uh, they don't see it going the way Jesus described. They Man, they say that God's not really going to judge people. God's not like that, because God's loving after all. You know, he wouldn't send people to hell. Never mind that this text shows, obviously, that's not the case at all, that he would. There's still other people who believe that you know, there's going to be a judgment day, but it's not going to involve Jesus. But... You see, there are just many, many different theories about what the future is going to hold, which means there are going to be many, many people who are awfully surprised when Judgment Day finally does come. And yet for others, man, this day is going to be a sight for sore eyes. When we get to see Jesus, our good shepherd, come, he's the one who laid his life down for his sheep. We're going to see him with our own two eyes. And we're going to see Jesus perform his shepherdly duties. He's going to separate the sheep from the goat because he's let these two mingle for far too long. And from that point on, there are only ever going to be two groups. Gone are all the other divisions that we humans just love to make. We love to make distinctions about ourselves. But then there's not going to be any distinction between, you know, rich and poor and all the different classes and the haves and the have-nots. And there's not going to be any divisions on the line of race or culture or um, politics. And thank God we're not going to have any of those divisions anymore. When Jesus comes, he's going to tear down all those dividing walls. And then there's only going to be one criteria that's going to divide us. And this is what it is. Did we help Jesus when he was in need? And that right there is the biggest surprise of the whole scene. Because I think that a lot of us have a good idea of what we're going to see. You know, we've got an idea of what we expect. We think that, 
You know, when he comes, he's going to call forward all these saints that have done so many things for him. They're going to be leading the charge. So, you know, first off, the disciples are going to come and the apostles. You got a guy like um, Stephen, the first martyr, he's coming forward, and all the church fathers with him, these people who have, have lost their lives for the sake of the gospel, done amazing things. And you imagine maybe great Christians from our day coming forward, somebody like. I don't know, Billy Graham, he's passed on now, but somebody like Billy Graham who's led all those crusades for Christ and somebody like Richard Wormbrand who's been a huge influence in the voice of the martyrs. But you can imagine these Christians coming forward, these people who've done great things and they're getting this high praise from Jesus on Judgment Day. That's how maybe you picture it. But amazingly, that is not what happens at all. Instead, Jesus comes to judge people by a very different standard. See, he's not looking for the outrageous and the magnificent. Instead, Jesus just judges people on the basis of what they've done for him without even knowing it. It's just small things. He says, you you gave me something to drink. You gave me food. You invited me in. You gave me clothes. You took care of me when I was sick or in prison. And these people, they're going to be stunned when they hear this. They're going to say, Lord, you heard it. Lord, when did we do all this stuff? We don't remember visiting you. We don't remember feeding you. And then you heard what he says. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. And that's the big surprise of Judgment Day. It's that question. What did you do for other people? And for the people who did serve others, then Christ reserves his highest praise for them. He says, come you, take your inheritance that I've prepared for you since the beginning of the world, this kingdom. See, Jesus opens the gates of the kingdom not to these amazing super-Christians. You know, people who have started churches and gone on to become famous evangelists or other people like this, He opens the kingdom to ordinary Christians who've just done ordinary things. Like take somebody a meal or visit somebody. These things that don't attract a whole lot of attention, that that maybe even seem a little thankless at times. But Jesus says, whatever you did for the lowliest person, the one that nobody really cared about, the one that could never do anything to repay you, You did that for me. And because you did that for me, enter into this kingdom I've prepared for you. Now that sounds amazing. But this story does raise a really big question, I think. Because just think about it. Like, doesn't this passage seem to say that entry into the kingdom depends solely on everything you and I do? And doesn't that sound a little bit odd? Because we're a Reformed church. We make a big deal about the Reformers. And the Reformers, they brought us back to the Gospel, which says that salvation is not by your works. It's not on the basis of what you do. It's on the basis of your faith. Which seems to be at odds with what Jesus is saying. It's like the exact opposite, isn't it? Now that could be a troubling issue for you. If what you did was take this passage that we just read and read it in isolation. 
Now, what we know is that isolation is not a very good thing. Some of us, we've experienced that uh, a lot lately. But we also need to remember what the Reformers taught us, too, about the Bible. It's, they, they would say, look, don't read a passage all by itself. Read it in the context of Scripture. Now, if we would do that, then what we've got to do is read this passage in light of another passage like John 3.16. That's a really well-known passage. We know that one. It talks about how God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him, that's the important word, isn't it? Whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that's, that's really the same message that the Apostle Paul keeps coming back to time and time again. Take another really well-known passage, Ephesians 2, verse 8. Paul says this, that salvation is by grace through faith. And it's not by your works. It doesn't come to you because of what you do so that nobody could boast. See, salvation is not anything you and I earn. Salvation, it is a gift that God gives you. And we've just come through Christmas, right? We know all about gifts. We know that we don't earn our Christmas gifts because if we earned them, they wouldn't be a gift. It's just payment. No, a gift is something that is given to you freely. And that's the same thing with our salvation. God gives us that salvation freely, and we accept it through faith. So, that, that's really the message of the gospel. That the kingdom is opened up to us by faith. But listen to this. Salvation does more than just open up the kingdom to us. Because our faith really also helps us to do good works. In the same passage in Ephesians where Paul's saying, you know, you've been saved by faith, he calls us God's handiwork. And he's, he says that we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So Paul's making this really strong connection between our salvation and our works. But he says, look, it's not that your works earn you salvation. No, it's the other way around. Your salvation makes you do good works. Like that's, it just flows from it naturally. And that's really how you understand what Jesus is saying in our passage. Your faith, if it's genuine, is going to lead you to do all sorts of things in his name. And a big part of these things that you and I are going to do is just loving other people. Remember, that's one of Jesus' two big commandments. He says the first one is just love God with your heart, your whole heart, your soul, your mind. Like every fiber of your being, love God. But also, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't need to tell you, though, that is an incredibly hard thing to do. See, if you're like me, um, what you do naturally is you just love to love yourself. Apparently that's our big problem in life. We just love to pour love out on ourselves. But to help us love better, God gives us this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. And what the Spirit does is it helps shine our attention away from ourselves and onto other people so that we can serve them just like Jesus served other people too. 
Because really, when we're serving other people, then you could say that that is when we're starting to understand the full picture of what it means to follow Jesus. Because so often, look, we, we get confused about it. We think it's all about other things. You know, we, we think following Jesus is all about coming to church. And it's all about maybe coming to a youth group or going to a Bible study. And maybe it's helping out in your church, taking your turn in the nursery and teaching Sunday school or gems and cadets. And maybe, maybe help in the church building or you serve on one of the billion committees that you have here, no doubt. Or maybe you're on council. But you've got all these needs within the church and it's so easy to totally fixate yourself on them so that you don't ever look beyond the walls of the church. Now listen, I'm going to be the first person to stress the importance of everybody in the church using their gifts to bless the church. And it's not just for our own benefit. Now, when, when you and I use our gifts in the church, what we do is we build up this community stronger and we shine the light of Christ even better. We pour out uh, God's love on other people and we shine this light to our community as well. For that to happen, I mean, you and I, we need to pour ourselves out into this community, this Christian community. But let us never ever think that that is all that's required of us. Because for us to follow Jesus means serving all these other needy people like he did. Now, one of the ways that you can do this is by giving financially. And that, I know, is a strength of this church. And when a need presents itself in this church, like people respond. They do it just like that. I talked to a couple people this week, and... You know, they, they've shared some of the ways that you're doing that. They've talked about the SALT team and, and, and the way people have raised money for different projects in Haiti and the Dominican. Or they talked about the, the, the From the Street to Feet mission and the community table and the homeless shelter in Godrich. I mean, there's so many ways that this body is raising money. And for that, you know what, you need to be commended. You're doing good work. Don't stop there. Because Jesus calls us to do even more for the needy than that. See, what Jesus is telling us this morning is that following him doesn't mean just raising money so that other people can serve needy folks. But it means that we get out there on the front line ourselves. Following Jesus means that we go out there and we care for sick people means that we invite strangers in. It means we visit lonely folks. And I know, look, I know that we've got a hard time with this during this COVID season with all the restrictions. I know that. But there are still so many ways that you and I can bless needy people right now. I mean, you just think about it. Think about it. Picking up a phone is such an incredibly easy thing to do. Writing an email, so easy. Putting together a little care package for somebody, that can make the world of difference in somebody's day. But there's so many little simple things that we can do. You know? Um, and we can do that in the name of Jesus. Like, 
oodles of opportunities to serve him like Jesus did. Now, what we know, though, is doing that, serving people, is a whole lot harder than just giving. Right? It's not so easy to go talk to a homeless person. It's not so easy to help someone who's lonely because basically they've pushed everybody who's loved them away. They're just prickly and caustic. Or it's not really easy to help somebody who's addicted or dying. I know. That's the stuff that moves us way beyond our comfort levels. And and it also requires a whole lot of sacrifice from us. What it means is we're going to have to give up some of the stuff that we enjoy and invest time into this stuff. And time is something that we already have precious little of as well. But if we're serious about following Jesus, then what we've got to know is we've got to be serious about helping needy people in this world too. But then here's the flip side. I want you to hear this because this is really important. The flip side is that it's not just a a crazy sacrifice. It's also an amazing opportunity. Because if if we're listening to Jesus, then what we need to hear him saying is that um, serving him doesn't mean, you know, we need to pack up our bags and move off to Africa or something crazy like that. Uh, Serving Jesus doesn't mean, you know, we got to, to go to some crazy um, location, maybe like a refugee camp, or uh, getting close to Jesus doesn't mean we need to join a monastery or make a, a pilgrimage to a holy land. If you want to be close to Jesus, if you want to serve him, then just go next door. You know, just pick up the phone. Just write an email, take a short drive, make a meal. It's all relatively easy stuff to do. Stuff that you can do now, like today even. Because you're going to find Jesus in some of the most unlikely places. You're going to find him in a homeless shelter. You're going to find him in a nursing home or a soup kitchen. You're going to find him in a hospital. You're going to see him at work. You're going to see him at school. We are just as likely to see Jesus next door as we are in a refugee camp. Martin Luther said this, The world is full of God. In every alley, before every door, you will find Christ. So we'll find him there. If we open our eyes, but the question is, will we serve him? You know, will we serve him when, man, it is just a huge inconvenience and we don't have time? Will we serve him when, frankly, you know, it is annoying? Will we serve him when it's unpleasant? When people are rude or smelly or off-putting, will we serve him still? You see, the day's coming when we're going to stand in front of Christ. And he's going to ask us, not whether we read our Bible every day and prayed and attended Bible studies. I mean, these are all really good things, important things. Do those things. But listen to this text. Because Jesus is going to ask us, did you feed me? Did you welcome me in? Did you clothe me? Did you visit me? Did you care for me? 
And when he asks this, what sort of answer will we give him? Let's pray. God, again, we thank you for the way your word comes to us this morning. And your word does what it often does. It cuts to our, our hearts. It, it, it cuts deep and it reveals the way that we have not always listened to you. Lord, this morning we want to repent for the ways that we just haven't always made time or looked for opportunities or maybe even refused to find opportunities to serve other people. Lord, we pray that you'd open our eyes to see you in the faces of our neighbors, our coworkers, our fellow students, people who are walking down the street, people who are beside us in the checkout counter, all kinds of people. Help us to see you there and help us to serve you and do it in such a way to bless other people so that you, Jesus, might receive all the honor and glory that you deserve. God, we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.